Well, let me welcome you again to Rockbridge Community Church, whatever campus or however, whatever means you've used to join us, whether you've popped online or somebody gave you a CD or you're gathered in Hickson, Dalton, Calhoun, Ringgold or Chatsworth. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Listen, one of the my favorite weekends of the year is coming up and I am excited that I am one year away from allowing or letting my son be able to participate in this and it's our Disciple Now weekend which is uh, which is next weekend. When Beth and I started Rockbridge we had a few things that we said we would always do and one of those was we would always invest in the next generation without apology. Uh, my faith story is because of events like this. I can tell you specific decisions I made as a senior uh, in high school at Red Top Mountain Park down there uh, around Cartersville at one of these, uh, one of these events. So I, I want to really talk to parents and guardians and those of you that influence 6th through 12th graders or the next generation. Would you go and sign up? Do not be a last-minute one. Do not, hey, this is, in my, in my opinion, one of the greatest investments we can do as a church because we are investing in, in, in a future, and, and God speaks and God moves, and there is so much prayer and so much energy going into this. I'm fired up, and I ask you to pray about it, and I ask you to pray for it, and I would encourage you to if you influence or have guardianship over a 6th through 12th grader, disciple now, and you can sign up now or see any of us in the lobby, or, and we'll, we'll be happy to answer questions at, at any campus that, that you're at. So we started a series last week on a subject that everybody has probably prayed, right? Everybody has had questions about prayer, doubts about prayer, confusion about prayer. And what we have said as a church is, is this is a time where we are mobilizing our entire church to really talk about, learn about, and practice prayer. So it's not just a series where you come in here an hour a week, hear me talk for a little bit about prayers, talk about a little bit in your small groups. We're doing this in student ministry. We're doing this in our Rockbridge Kids Ministry. We've got prayer handlebars on Facebook Live every Wednesday at 7 a.m. at noon. We've got a five-by-five five prayer challenge to pray uh, five things, five, five, times, uh, five minutes a day for five weeks. We've got a prayer journal, just all kinds of things going on as we really are digging into this prayer that the disciples prayed of Jesus in Luke 18, which is, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, today I want to answer a wrestle with a little bit and then answer a question for us. How do we know if we have really prayed? Because, you know, you sometimes are like, is it my prayer hitting the ceiling? Am I just talking with myself? In fact, recently in the news, there was a, 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 an episode of The View <clears throat> where the, the debate centered around Vice President Mike Pence, who's a, who's a strong Christian, and he was, he, he's a man of prayer. And they began talking about this, and they bring up some interesting and challenging and sometimes it may even be offensive what they say. So let's take a look at this interaction about the vice president's prayer life on The View. He's extreme. I'm Christian. I love Jesus. But he thinks Jesus tells him to say things. That I'm like, Jesus, I say that. I don't know if I want it's that. It's one thing to talk to Jesus. It's another thing when Jesus talks to you. Exactly. Okay, well, that's different. If I'm not correct, but no, I'm, I'm hearing <laughs> voices. You know, Joy, as a, as, as, as a, as a Christian, <laughs> that's just part par for the course. You talk to Jesus, Jesus talks back. What concerns me is how long is the conversation but Jesus with is Jesus? telling him to say things. Yeah, so, you know, what do you do with that? 
Okay, I mean, it's, if you're a Christ follower, it's offensive. But I, I just want to say this, okay? I, I don't want you to dismiss what they said because we've probably all doubted prayer. We've probably all kind of, and we're not going to say it maybe this way because that comes across sacrilegiously, but you might have said, am I really talking to myself? Because it sort of just feels like it right now. And I, I just want us to be real with that. And I just want us to admit there's a tension in, in your soul sometimes. How do I know? If I've really prayed, if I've really connected to God, and, and there's a mystery about it. And, and people that, are, that you saw a Christian talking about it, you saw someone who doesn't appear to be, although she later said she is a Christian, who, uh, who's, who, doesn't, who almost makes fun of the concept of prayer because, you know, we are supposed to have all the answers in, in this thing right here, and, and right here we follow this, and we listen to this, and, and that we don't really have to listen to that up, him up there, right? So there's that tension and, and, and it intersects us because you pray and it doesn't feel like it's like you're knocking on the door sometimes and nobody's home or you're like, did I, did I do it right? And how does all that kind of work together? So we're going to get inside of that conversation today and we're going to be in the Old Testament and look at the prayer life of one of Judah's kings. This is Judah's king. Asa. So we're going to be in Second Chronicles. We're going to be in chapter 14, a little bit of 15, and into chapter 16. So we'll start reading this story in, uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 14. And let me give you a little bit of background. The king, is about, the king of Judah, Asa, his, his, his territory is about to be invaded. And so we're about to have a, a little bit of a battle. And we'll, we'll intersect and see what happens. Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah bearing large shields and spears and 280,000 from Benjamin bearing regular shields and drawing the bow. So about a half a million troops were amassed in Asa's army. All these were valiant warriors. Then Zerah, the Cushite, this is probably the region of uh, Africa, East Africa, known as Ethiopia, came against them with an army of one million. So about, we're outnumbered two to one, and they have 300 chariots. So that's kind of like the, the M1A1 Abrams tank that we have today in the United States military. So we've got a million-man army, and we've got the tanks. And Israel's got a half a million-man army and no tanks, okay? So they're severely outnumbered. So Asa marched out against him and lined up in battle formation. Now, you, you know, is he stupid? Or what is he? Because he's out number two to one, and they've got the tanks, they've got the chariots. Then Asa, and this is significant, he's in battle formation facing the enemy. Then he does something. He cried out to the Lord his God, and he said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help the mighty and those without strength. So notice what he says. God's help is essential whether you're mighty and strong in, 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 the, in any kind of case or you're without strength. It doesn't matter. In other words, God's help is essential whether we are humanly strong or not. Help us, Lord, our God, for we depend on you, and in your name we have come against this large army. Lord, he continues, you are our God. Do not let a mere mortal hinder you. So the Lord routed the Cushites before Asa and before Judah, and the Cushites fled, and there was this massive victory. And so as you look at this, we get a little bit more of an understanding about prayer and the provision of God that comes through prayer. But the first thing we, I want us to notice is this. Prayer is a weapon in the fight that you and I are in in, in our life. Whatever fight that is, and, and, and we talk about this a lot at Rockbridge, that it's, we're you know, on a battleship, not a cruise ship. We're, we talk about 
about the fact that there is spiritual warfare. We talk about, and, and do we need to talk about, the news tells us even in our own community, there, there are real problems, there are real dynamics. And so we need this concept or understanding that prayer is a weapon. Prayer is not this thing you do before the battle. Prayer is part of the battle. Prayer is not a peacetime intercom where you just say, God, can I have some more wine and cheese on the Lido deck, please? Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie where you are like, God, I need your grace right here. I need your mercy right here. So prayer is a weapon. Now, if you understand the temptation that Asa faces there, which is the temptation not to pray. And let me explain why I think he has the temptation not to pray, because he can count. And the author counts for us. They've got a million and tanks. You've got a half a million, and you ain't got the tanks. So the enemy of prayer... I think the enemy of prayer, one way or another, is reliance on human resources. That, that we would look at what they have versus what we have. We would look at you know, our bank account, our attributes, what we see when we look ourselves in the mirror and what we're facing, and we just make a decision and we make a determination and we cut our losses and, and, and move on. So Ace's temptation is really our temptation, and that's the temptation to look at the numbers. So he can look at the numbers and he make two decisions. He can say, I can't do it. I'm out of here. They're bigger. They're stronger. There's more of them than us. Or he can look at the numbers and say, I think I can figure a way to win even when I'm vastly outnumbered. But Asa doesn't do that. He comes up to the battle line and he says, you know what? The greatest weapon I have is not these 530, 540,000 men behind me. The greatest weapon I have is the God above me and I'll connect to him in prayer. It's the living reality of what we find in Proverbs 21, 31, where it says a horse is prepared for the day of battle. Now, who prepares the horse? Well, you and I do. But victory comes from the Lord. Now, there's mystery there. There's tension there, okay? In the view clip that we saw, they would just say, well, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, and that's it. They want to leave out, but the victory comes from the Lord part. So there's a tension there. But what this tells us is that my part and your part in the fight is crucial, but God's part is decisive. That God's part is decisive. And what we see going on with Asa that is so powerful, and this is what we're working toward to know that we've really prayed, because that's the question. How do I know if I've really prayed? Is this, that at the end of the day, our goal is this, that we would trust the prayers we pray over the things we see. Now, I want us to think about that. Because you look at things and you assess the situation. You can assess like Ace King Asa, they have more than we do. And you can walk away from the fight, surrender the fight, become a victim of the fight. You can succumb to joylessness, hopelessness. You can be the victim. You can be defeated. You can become passive. You can become apathetic. You can just bow out and move to the sidelines of life, the sidelines of faith. Because of what you see and your human ability to reason, to calculate, and to count. You can look at your bank account and say, well, I'll never amount to nothing. You can look at your resume and say, I don't have what it takes. You can look at your past and say, there's no way, no how God could use me. Or you can get puffed up and think, man, I have the education, the pedigree, the money, the looks, and everything. I'm really something. Either way, you can bank on what you see 
But what we see Asa doing is he trusts the prayers he prays over the things he sees. That's what they didn't get on the view. Right? I mean, they can't comprehend um, uh, one of the, probably the top five most powerful people in the world, the vice president of the United States, they can't comprehend that he would trust the prayers he prays over the things he sees. King Asa did it. How did he pray? And how do we know he really prayed? Let's keep getting underneath that. We're going to get an explanation from one of the Psalms. So we'll go to Psalm 31. And we're going to get a kind of a, a diagnosis of what Asa did that day on the battle line through prayer. A king is not saved by a large army. A warrior will not be rescued by great strength. And that goes against common sense. Because in our minds, hey, the bigger guy in the football, on the line of scrimmage in football wins. The taller basketball player gets the more rebounds. The person with the bigger bank account, the, 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 the country with the bigger army, they tend to win. And God comes in and says, no, 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 no. The king is not saved by a large army. A warrior will not be rescued by great strength. The horse is a false hope for safety. It provides no escape by its great power. But look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him, those who depend on his, on his faithful love. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Does it mean we're go, we go quaking with our boots uh, near him or we don't want to be near him because he's so scary? No, it means we're, we're afraid of doing anything apart from him. We're afraid of straying from him. If you've ever taught your kid how to, how to swim, and you know the first time they learn how to swim, what's the first thing you teach them to do? Grab the side of the pool, Right? And that's like the first swim move is just grab that side of the pool and you're not going anywhere. And so the first couple of times they're, they're learning, they don't want to get away from the side of the pool. They have a fear of straying from the side of the pool. And then they get more comfortable. And then the next fear is they don't want to get in over their head. So they have a fear of leaving the shallows. The fear of the Lord is like that. I don't do, want to do anything without talking to God first. I don't want to do anything without depending upon, relying upon God first. And that becomes the, the key that unlocks the door to real prayer. And Proverbs, uh, excuse me, Psalm 33, 20 concludes this thought where it says, We wait for the Lord. He is our help and shield. And this is where we want to dive in and understand what real prayer involves. This concept of waiting. Nobody likes to wait. Especially in our microwave, got to have it now, instant message now, uh, high-speed internet now, all that stuff, culture. But this, this concept of waiting is prevalent in Scripture. And so I'm going to make a point. True prayer involves waiting, or to answer the question we posed at the beginning of our talk today is, you know you've really prayed when you've waited, and now we don't know what that means yet, and we've got to dissect it. But I want us to embrace the biblical concept of waiting. Psalm 62 says it this way. Let all that I am wait quietly before the Lord, for my hope is in him. Isaiah 30, 18 says this. The Lord is waiting to show you mercy and rising up to show you compassion. That's what we talked about last week, that we, need, we were helpless people who need mercy and, and, and grace. So the Lord is waiting. And then it flips and says, for the Lord is a just God. All who wait patiently for him are happy. So God's waiting for us to wait on him. Now I want us to embrace the tension. God's waiting for us to wait on him. What is he talking about? What does it mean to wait? It means we can't brush past God, fly past God, and get quickly into do-it-ourselves mode. 
It means we can't rush past God and take stock in totally what we see. It's King Asa lining up his army, preparing the horse for battle, coming right up to the battle line and not giving the order to charge or to retreat, but then he prayed. He waited. He didn't blow past God. He leaned into God. He didn't flee because of what he saw. He trusted, he waited because of the God he relied upon. And isn't that kind of the, the tendency and the temptation that, that you and I feel? Is our prayers are more like microwave prayers. God be with me today, out the door. God bless this food, let's eat. God be with Jane, she's got cancer, amen. God, I got a big decision to make it work, help me out, bye. And, and we just brush, and we just fly through the, the, the mechanisms of prayer, and then we got to go fight, and we got to go do it ourselves, and we got to figure this out, and we got to win, and, and, and we ask, we, we, we got a little bit of God, because we said, God, help me, and then, we're go, and then we just really want to ha- help ourselves. So what does it really mean to wait? So interestingly enough, back to King Asa, after the victory over the Cushite army, uh, almost a revival breaks out. And they make an agreement, a covenant it's called in Scripture. They make an agreement with God. And their covenant with God is very, very insightful. Here, here's what it says, okay? I'm in chapter 15, Second Chronicles. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord their God of their ancestors with all their heart. Not half their heart, but all their heart. Fully devoted. And all their soul. And they took an oath to the Lord in a loud voice. So we're going into an agreement to seek the Lord, to wait upon the Lord, to rely upon the Lord, to not say, I'll do this part, God, you take care of that part, but with all their heart, all their soul to depend upon the Lord. And then they took an oath to the Lord in a loud voice. And then all of Judah rejoiced over the oath for they had sworn it with all their mind and they had sought him with all, there it is again, their heart. And he was found by them. God was found God communicated back. God manifested back. God answered back. God provided. God was faithful because they gave God their all and sought God with all their heart. So the Lord God gave them rest on every side and war ended. And the wars were over and peace came into the kingdom and things were happening and things were moving forward. And so waiting involves looking to the Lord before we look to human methods, before we look to human resources, before we go into do-it-ourselves mode. Think about the word American. What are the last letters? I can. American, right? I mean, we go into can, I can do it mode. And we treat prayer kind of like the football coach giving the, you know, the great win one for the Gipper speech before the big game. The prayer fires us up and then we got to go out and do it ourselves. Prayer is a weapon, of not rushing past God, but waiting upon God and relying upon God first, foremost, and always. Not as a last resort, but as an always option, as always available and something we're always pursuing. And, and so they make this covenant with God. And then the author of Chronicles gives us a little bit of hint of a problem. Because here's what he says. There was no, go back please. Yep, there was no war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So God had given them rest because of this covenant that they were going to wait on him and seek him with all their heart. And then it says, okay, there was no war until the 35th year. So this is about 20 years later. What happened? What, what happened at year 35 or year 36? 
chapter 16, in the 36th year of Asa, Israel's king Baasha went to war against Judah. So Asa brought out the silver and gold from the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the royal palace and sent it into Aram's king Ben-Hadad, who lived in Damascus, saying, there's a treaty between me and you, between my father and your father. Look, I have sent you silver and gold, so you go break your treaty with Israel's king Baasha that he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa, sent the commanders of his armies to the cities of Israel. So Asa is being attacked by King Baasha, and he says, I'll forge a treaty with another king, and we'll go together and defeat this king. What's missing? He didn't wait. He didn't stop and pray. He blew right past God and says, I got it figured out. I'm a great diplomat. I'll form a treaty. And that treaty will be my means to secure a military victory. And guess what happened? It worked. The enemy retreated, and the battle was over. And we're tempted to applaud, great king, he's awesome, we won. Just like you and I, hey, we did it, we figured it out, we solved the riddle, we conquered the blank, we overcame the enemy, we we won back this, we achieved that. And then we get a little explanation, though, in verse 7. At that time, the seer, Hanani, came to King Asa of Judah and said to him, Because you depended on the king of Aram and have not depended on the Lord your God. Now, just stop right there. See, there's a temptation for you and I to think that when you're winning, that means God is blessing. If you're winning on your own devices, if you're winning on your, in reliance upon your own power, your own prestige, your own possessions, your own resources, you're really losing because you have not depended upon the Lord your God. The army of King Aram, as the story continues, has escaped from you. In other words, the guy you, wanted to go in, you went into a treaty with, God wanted you to have victory over him. So you've settled for less than God wants for you. Listen to me. When you depend upon your own resources and you blow past God and you don't wait on God and you don't seek God with all your heart, you settle for less than God's best. We're not the, and then he says, let's take a trip down memory lane, Asa. We're not the Cushites and Libyans, a vast army. That's the first victory we looked at in Chronicles 14. With many chariots and horsemen, when you depended on the Lord, he, God, handed them over to you. And see, here's the battle that gets exposed in our soul. And prayer actually has a mechanism to bring this battle to the surface. And you've not really prayed until you've understood this battle and decided which side you're going to come down on. And here's the battle. It's the gospel of Jesus versus the gospel of self-reliance or what we'll call half-heartedness or not being fully devoted. So let me explain. The gospel of Jesus is simply this. You and I do not have what it takes. You and I cannot be good enough to go to heaven. You and I do not have the wisdom to save ourselves from stupid. You and I need revelation. You and I were born into dependence. I just took a breath of air. Did Matt Evans create that breath of air? The sun that shines, the earth's angle on its axis, all of those things speak to us saying we are dependent upon our creator. And because we're sinners, now we're dependent upon our redeemer. 
Redeemer. And our Creator and our Redeemer are one and the same. It's the Lord God Almighty. So Christianity is a big, big good news message of I can't, God can, I'll surrender to God. That's the gospel of Jesus. But there's also this gospel of self-reliance, which is we all love to be the hero. We love to get the trophy. We love to be the guy or the gal. We love to, to get the accolade. We love to have the achievement. And in prayer, there is a battle you fight every time you pray or choose not to pray or go through the motions of prayer that am I really relying upon God or am I doing a King Asa in chapter 16 and I'll just blow past God, use my own devices, not depend upon God, and settle for less than God's best. God's best always comes through an act of dependence upon Him, not acts of independence upon ourselves. And then we get this amazing verse of Scripture that I want us to pray for our communities, that I want us to pray for our churches, that I want to pray in our five campuses. 2 Chronicles 16, 19. You may have heard it before. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, not 99% hearted, wholeheartedly devoted to him. That God is waiting and watching for those who are waiting and watching for him. And here's the powerful thing. Here's what this implies. This is the whole character of God. That's implied in this, in this passage of Scripture, and it's so powerful, okay? This is what it's saying. God is going to find, and God is going to show himself mighty and strong for those who are devoted, who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. So it's like this. NFL scouts right now are busy because the NFL draft is coming up. They are going to find the best players, in their opinion, for their team. SEC recruiters are going to find the top talent in the high schools in, in the nation to bring on their team. God Almighty is going to find the people in this world who are devoted to Him, who are willing to wait on Him before they proceed in their flesh and in and of themselves. That is what God is looking for. That is how God wants to show Himself to us in our lives. And so as we think about <clears throat> recent events in, our, in, in the city of Dalton, Dalton High School this week, some other schools have had, have had threats. As we think about our nation, is this not a time for our church at Rockbridge and the church of Jesus Christ to reject the gospel of self-reliance and say, God, we want to be the people who catch your eye. We want to be the people you see and show yourself strong to. So we've been talking with area pastors, and listen, here's what we're going to ask all of us to do. Other churches are going to participate. Is this Sunday at 1.30, go by a school and pray. If your kids are in school, there, go there. If, you're, if you live near a neighborhood school, go there. If you know a teacher and, that, and that's your connection to that particular, go there. And just at 1.30, after, you know, maybe after you've had lunch, if you can, if you're not working, whatever, just go by there and wait on the Lord and say, God, we need you to show yourself strong for our kids, for our community, for our people. 
That's what the prayer project is all about. And that's why we're, we're trying to leverage this and, and say, God, here we are waiting on you. And then every Wednesday during this, during this series on Facebook, Facebook Live, we have this at 7 a.m. at noon. Had a great experience this past Wednesday with people praying. At the same time, things were happening at one of our area high schools. And one of our pastors that morning had been moved by the Holy Spirit on that particular day to pray for safety in our schools. God will show himself strong. And he'll find those who are waiting for him. But if we don't, there's a rebuke from the Lord. And this is what Asa heard. Asa heard this from God. You have been foolish in this matter. Now, I think about that. Do do I want to hear God ever say that to me as a dad, as a pastor? as a citizen, as, a, as, as his child. Hey, Matt, you've been foolish in this matter. Now, his grace is there every time he rebukes me and corrects me and disciplines me because you discipline and correct those you love, right? But this is a warning. For some of you, this is an explanation. Oh, that's why I'm where I'm at. That's why my marriage is where it's at. Because you've been foolish in this matter. Therefore, God says, you will have wars from now on. That's why the peace ended. Because Asa blew past God. And then look at, look at what happens. And even, even this. Asa, pride has kicked in. He says, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a disease in his feet. And his disease became increasingly severe. Yet even in his disease, he didn't seek the Lord. But only the physicians. Doesn't say it's wrong to seek the physicians. Says it's wrong to only seek the, fish, the physicians. So, you know, when you wait on God, here's really what's going on. And this is why this is so crucial, why I think this command is repeated over and over and over and over in Scripture to wait on the Lord, is because what we're doing while we're waiting is we're working to silence our self-will, to silence our sense of self-reliance so that we can be wholehearted so that we can truly break through and hear and encounter and interact with God and receive the grace and mercy to help us in our time of need and and see God's eyes lock on to our souls that have been waiting for Him. And and there's an interesting way to, to view this, that what we're doing while we're waiting is we're trying to shut down our flesh, we're trying to shut down our pride, we're trying to say no to the gospel, or really, which is really the bad news or the foolish news of self-reliance. We're trying to say no to flesh, no to stupid, so we can hear the voice of God. So if you imagine a room with multiple doors in it, and you go in, and I encourage you to do this, read the Sermon on the Mount from this perspective. This is not mine, this is Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. And what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is he shuts these doors that human beings love to go through. And these are the doors of self-reliance and self-will and self-assertiveness, okay? And then when we shut all these doors, this door of prayer opens. So if you go around the door, around the room, and, and this is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, here's what Jesus does. He shuts these doors. When your enemy does something that you don't like, Jesus says, turn the other cheek and love your enemy, and so we close the door. When you have this desire for revenge against your enemy, he says, turn the other cheek, so you close the door. When you have this desire relationally to put walls up, Jesus says, be reconciled, and so you close that door. And all these are fleshly responses. 
All these are responses of my ego, my pride, and my sense of I can solve it, I can fix it. He says, hey, when it comes to giving and and you want to be proud and you want to see people say, hey, you gave so much money, you did such a good job. He says, give in secret and close the door of pride. When it comes to money, and money is such an issue for us and our sense of self-reliance, he says, look, don't, don't store up treasures on earth where moths and rust can come and get it. Lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. And he closes the door of the, to the God of money. And then he says, you know, when people are, are critical and you want to have a critical spirit toward others and you want to gossip and slander, he says, don't judge them. And he closes that door. And then when, you, when you're battling for control and you want to, you know, take control, and when you don't have control, you get anxious and you get fearful. Fearful, and we're reminded of that in our nation at this time. He says, don't worry, and he shuts that door. And so all these doors where we're tempted to assert ourselves, assert our pride, become self-reliance, are closed, and then this new door of prayer is open because we have silenced this by waiting on the Lord, and that's when we begin to hear the voice of the Lord. That's when we begin to receive the strength of God. That's when we stand at the battle and say, then Asa prayed and relied upon God, and God gave the victory. So what doors do you need to close so you can truly hear God? Your anger, your fear, your pride, your doubt. Because let me share something with you, and, and I'm not perfect at this, but God's will God's voice become remarkably clear when I wait long enough for my voice and my will to die. So you want to know how to know if you've really prayed when you've let your voice die and said no, no, no. Think about Abraham who doubted God would send him a child through his wife, Sarai. So he slept with his handmaid, Hagar, and Ishmael was born because he couldn't silence the voice of doubt, and I got to do it myself, and I got to help God out. Think of David and Bathsheba. He couldn't say no to the lusts of his biology and trust in his theology, so he committed an affair. Think of Peter. Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll never let you down. But then his fear of losing approval of other people, his fear of getting caught, overpowered the voice of God. He shut off God and he gave in to his fear. See, history is littered with people. My history is littered with those times I've listened to Matt Evans and not shut the door on my pride or my self-will or my sense of self-reliance or my desire to control And I didn't wait long enough to hear the voice of the Lord and receive the victory that God wanted. So church, as we learn to wait on God this week and in this lifetime, here's what I can promise. When you are waiting on the Lord, two paths will emerge. Two paths and only two paths. Path number one is this. God will sometimes say, do nothing. And just wait and watch. Just do nothing. Just be still. And watch me work. He said this to Israel on the cusp of the Red Sea as the Egyptian army and as Exodus 14 is bowing, is blowing in on them. And they're scared. And, and Moses says, don't be afraid. 
Just be still and watch what God does. And they do an about face and quit looking at their enemy and they look at the water and God parts the water and wins them a great victory and they don't have to fight. So sometimes God will say, just pray, just be still and watch and wait. At other times though, the second path is God will say, do something and wait and watch too. Here's the difference though, this doing something is not driven by your pride It's not driven by your desire to control. It's not driven by your sense of, I can do it. It's driven by God's grace and the fact that God's grace will be available to you. It's Jonathan standing on the foot of the cliff with the Philistines above saying to his armor bearer, hey, perhaps God will be with us if we go up there and fight. It's David standing before the giant Goliath saying, how dare you defy the armies of the living God? God will fight with me. And he grabs his stones and he grabs his slingshots. And then he goes and does something and watches God give him a victory. Those are the two paths when you wait before the Lord. And whether God tells you to be still or to do something, victory is yours because the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. As we close this portion of our service, we're going to just let you wait on God. I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't want you to get up and leave. I don't want you to rustle in your seats and pack your purse. I want to ask you to wait. I want to ask you to wait on God who's waiting on us to wait on Him. Some of us are going to have to close some doors so the door of victory through prayer can be clearly seen and clearly experienced. So Rockbridge Community Church, in the stillness of our soul, let us wait on the God who waits on us.